Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 343 with Stacey Boyle. I think you'll love this chat with Stacey because she's laying out what does it mean to be more strategic, how it's done, why that's important. And if you've ever heard someone at work say, you should be more strategic, like what does that even mean? Well, she goes there and unpacks it in a great way. So you'll learn one, what does be more strategic really mean? Two, why to always establish the purpose before the method. And three, the building blocks of smart decisions. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F343. Now here is Stacy's story. Stacy Boyle has led global consulting and research departments for over 20 years, during which she has built a reputation for groundbreaking work connecting investments in people to critical business outcomes. Today, she runs two consulting firms that help some of the world's best companies and nonprofits answer their pressing business questions about investments in people. Stacy's president and chief people planner for Smarter People Planning, LLC, and chief assayer for Assay EDU, LLC. Stacy has a PhD in applied behavioral research and evaluation, and she can be reached at smarterpeopleplanning.com. I really appreciate Stacy strategically allocating some time to this podcast, and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Stacy. Stacy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. I'm excited to be here. Oh, me too. Me too. And I, I first I wanted to start by hearing that you have recently, or maybe it's been a longstanding, uh, developed something of an addiction to audiobooks. What is the backstory here and what are you listening to? Well, very interesting. I had a friend, you know, sort of, I'm a competitive type person. So my friend told me he read or listened to 50 audiobooks in six months. Oh, and, did he? <laughs> oh, yes. He, well, he claimed he did. Whether he did or not, I don't know. <laughs> he claimed he did. So being competitive, having a competitive nature, I thought, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm going to do 51 at least. So I didn't quite make it, but I worked pretty hard and got there. And so I always listen to a lot of nonfiction books, business books. I've listened to a couple of fiction books, but primarily nonfiction. And so we just kind of like have a fun way of competing. So we always compare, what are you reading? What are you reading? And he'll read things that are a little more headier than I do, but we just kind of have fun. And I really, it's become really bad. I wake up first thing in the morning. It's like, Alexa, play Audible. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. See, now she heard me. Now she started to play Audible. Audible play. And so what will play now if uh, from Alexa? What's queued up? We'll put you on yeah. the spot. Alexa, stop. She just started playing when I said that. So I had to go stop her. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's cool. Well, hey, I don't know if this counts as, as like a secret advantage, but, um, you know, one of our, our sponsors is called Blinkist, which I, I'm a huge fan of. You can get summaries of nonfiction books either read, you can read them, or read to you, you know, audio. And I think that their their voice talent is really strong in terms of, I actually enjoy listening to that voice who's who's reading. And you can sort of get the the core ideas of a book in, oh, 10 to 15-ish minutes. So I think it's perfect for books. You're like, I know I'm not going to read this whole thing, but oh, cool. I can I can get the, the basics in, in a shorter period of time. So 
That, that's Blinkist. It, that's a great. That's a great way for me to beat my friend too. To be like, hey, <laughs> guess what? I did a hundred. <laughs> oh my, yeah, that's right. He's just like, what? <laughs> You'll be able to speak knowingly and intelligently about him. So, um, awesome, cool. Well, so I, I want to hear your scoop one one book that <laughs> is near and dear to your heart that should probably be read and and savored every word as opposed to summarized. Uh, with the Blinkist is, is your book, uh, Be More Strategic in Business. What's it all about? Well, thanks, Pete. You know, I want to give you a little bit of backstory. So our full title for the book, you know, because of course, all good books, we have to have a nice long subtitle because we try to be simple up front. So our full title is Be More Strategic in Business, How to Win Through Stronger Leadership and Smarter Decisions. So I wrote this book with my business partner, Diana Thomas. And in the introduction, we talk about our backstory. We have a pretty interesting backstory. Diana started working at McDonald's in a restaurant in Maryland when she was 16 years old. And she ended up working her way all the way up across the next 35 years to become the vice president of uh, training and development for McDonald's U.S. and was the dean of Hamburger University. Awesome. So she has a long time running career working for McDonald's corporate. And I started my career, I graduated with my doctor at the age of 29, and then went out and worked for a big five consulting firm, and then just went to a bunch of different companies. I worked for the top three e-learning companies. I worked for a predictive analytics company, uh, learning and development magazine. So I've like kind of got the breadth and Diana's got the depth. So between the two of us, you know, we're both leaders now, but we've kind of gone at it sort of different ways and we've seen different things. And I've seen many different industries just as Diana has. So we came together, we met, it's kind of interesting. I sort of stalked her since 2005. She didn't really know it, but I kind of did. I got mm, into several a, years um, here. <laughs> I, I did. And and finally, I told her the story. She's like, I didn't know you were lurking in the background. And I said, well, I was. I went to a conference and I arrived late because my flight was late or something like that. And I arrived late and I saw Diana presenting. She was a keynote on a stage. And I thought, whoa, this is, I really like this woman. I like her message. She's strategic. I can learn so much from her. And I love where she's going. And she was presenting about the training programs and all the initiatives they had at McDonald's. And when I was watching her present, I thought, wow, like what she's doing with data, she could really do a lot more. She could show a lot more of these results. But what I had to offer in 2005 wasn't really resonating with people, you know, because I was in the area of like predictive analytics. And that wasn't a thing really in 2005, right? People didn't understand it. It was a thing in my world, but it wasn't in the rest of the world. So I really wasn't sure how to approach Diana about it. So I just kind of stayed back. Didn't really talk to her too much. And then fast forward to 2010, I ended up working for a learning and development magazine, and we designed learning awards. And the, uh, McDonald's applied, and Diana kept wondering why she wasn't ranking higher in the awards when they were, when they were announced. And so I went out to McDonald's corporate and talked to her, and I said, well, here's the reason. Your measurement could be a lot stronger. You could have a lot more results focus and focus on outcomes a lot more. And she's like, wow, what are you talking about? And so I said, this is what I identified in 05, but I didn't talk to you about it. <laughs> and that was 2010. So when she retired a couple of years ago, when she retired, we talked to each other and I said, hey, you know what? We've got such a great story. 
what we've done together at McDonald's and what we've done with other clients, we should write a book about strategic leadership. So, because we both are di- very different leaders, Diana is naturally a strategic leader. She naturally is a big picture thinker and sees results immediately. Whereas I came out of academia and I was just very tactical in the weeds person. And I had to learn to kind of become strategic. And so with the two of us, we were good partners because she would be big picture and I would be details tactical with the data. And then I would talk to her about how to apply that strategically. And so that's where sort of, you know, it worked, our relationship and our business partnership works really well in that sense. And we learn from each other and we leverage each other's strengths. That's great. Yeah. Well, intriguing and, and, and beautiful that, that partnership and, and how it all came together there. And I do recall, I believe it was in 2007, we were trying to, predictive analytics really wasn't much of a thing. I remember we were consulting a, a call center and, and we needed to get some better prediction associated with forecasting of call volumes based upon you know, the day of the week and where it was in the year based on historical data. And it was really hard. It's just like, what is, it hasn't someone already figured this out? Can't we just buy <laughs> some software that does this for us? And the answer was kind of, but not really at the time, I remember. Yeah, no, you couldn't have, but we could have <laughs> set up a regression model for you and have done that for well, you. Well, yeah, but... we had to do it the hard way. Exactly. It was like, okay, day of the week, you know, the month, the, you know, et, et cetera. Is there a holiday? How did it go last year? You know, and, and so that, but that, which was helpful because you want to have the right number of, of reps on the phone and not, not too few and not too many, or if you're having crazy whole times that drive people nuts, or you have people just sitting around and um, kind of spending more money than you need to. That's right. What's the right mix? to deliver yeah. the right results. That's what we needed to know. Totally. Well, so let, let's talk about this word strategic. You know, one, what do you mean by it and why is it valuable and what's sort of the antithesis of being strategic? Okay. So great question. And let me start this. So when I first got out of college, you know, I had my doctorate and I got my first job at a big consulting firm and I moved, I had just got married and I moved to the Chicago area and started my big job, and I was really excited and had my six-month probation performance review. And when I sat down with my manager, he said, you didn't get a good review. He started by telling me that and saying that people did not like meeting with you. They don't <laughs> like talking to you. They think you're too in the weeds. You, you, all you do is pull up a spreadsheet on the screen. You start talking line by line and telling people what you've done. People don't care what you've done, Stacy. And mm-hmm. I was in shock. I was thinking, what? And essentially, he was telling me I was being too tactical. And he said to me, you need to be more strategic. I didn't know what that meant. He didn't tell me what that meant. And I asked him, what does this mean? And mind you, this is before the internet, right? I couldn't go Google it Mm -hmm. and figure it out. And he said, this is a big consulting firm. You need to be more strategic. And then I, I didn't know what he meant. Of course, you know, I'm a, a, you know, I'm a thoroughbred. So I was going to, I'm going to dig in and try to figure this out here. And then I would watch the people around me get promoted and get promoted. And I'd work really hard and I tried to figure out and I'd ask people, what does be more strategic mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And I'd watch people and observe. And I got an idea. I started getting better because I'd realized people would come into meetings, start talking about results. They're saying, well, we found 10% did this. We've got the majority of the learners doing this. We're seeing this outcome over here. We've seen this change in sales. And I'm like, but how, how, how? 
And I wasn't realizing we, I don't need to focus on the how I need to focus on the result. Mm-hmm. And so that did not come naturally to me. And I had to gradually learn over time how to become strategic, what it meant. And so what that looks, what that means is when you aren't strategic, what it means is that people won't include you in meetings because mm-hmm. they think you're long-winded. Yeah, you get, we'll never finish on time if Stacy's here. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to get there. And who, who wants to sit here through this whole spreadsheet, right? Mm-hmm. And you get passed over for promotions. And guess what? When it's time for layoffs, guess who's the first on the chopping block? Because yeah. you're doing a lot of stuff, but is it the right stuff? That's what you have to know. Are you moving the needle with what you're doing? You need to know that and you need to plan accordingly. Okay. So we've seen very clearly the the consequences of being not strategic versus being strategic. And so so this this word then, you know, part of it's focusing on on the results and focusing on on the right stuff that's going to to truly impact things. Any other kind of layers or or facets of of the definition of being strategic? Yeah. So what we've done specifically is we came up with, Diane and I really like to use metaphors because we think metaphors resonate with people. If I explain this to you in a metaphor, you're going to remember the metaphor and the story that I tell you versus just telling you, okay, we have a six-factor model. A great metaphor is like a string around your finger. Exactly. See see what I did there? Couldn't resist. And I love it. You got it. So a good metaphor on how to be more strategic in business is we're in our book, we help you build a strategic ladder. And the idea is that this is a ladder that you build that you can take with you to different companies, different organizations, different industries, whatever you need. But once you build this ladder, you're always working on the rungs of the ladder. And the metaphor we use in the book is Diana had a conversation with Stephen Covey you know, the, yeah. the Stephen Covey with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he has a metaphor about uh, bu- building a ladder and having a ladder in the jungle. And the leader's the one who climbs the ladder and looks over all the treetops and says, and there's all the producers are down on the ground, you know, clearing the weeds, whacking with the machetes, knocking everything down. And the leader's the one that climbs the ladder and looks over the treetops and says, hey, Hey guys, we're in the wrong jungle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or, you know what? Guess what? Everybody else is across the river. We need to go across the river. Or, hey guys, keep going. We're doing the right thing. If it's so great about that metaphor is if if you're the person who's just like sweating bullets as with the machete chopping down stuff and you're like, who's this lazy jerk who gets to just chill out on, on a ladder? Exactly. <laughs> He's not doing any real work like all of us over here. Exactly. So they're down there doing <laughs> stuff, but is it the right stuff? And that yeah. leader up there above the treetops can see they, they are doing the right things to keep the job. And that then that leader will have that ladder and they can move to another jungle. They can move over to a construction site. They can take that ladder and become a firefighter, take their ladder with them. So once you kind of have these core skill sets of being strategic and seeing the big picture, then you can move around successfully and you can be really awesome at your job. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Well, so let's hear it. If, you're, if someone is a sort of a rank and file employee, not a, not a vice president or a director, but somewhere below that. You know, what are some of the, the first steps 
to develop this this mindset and and this view and and becoming more strategic? So what we've come up with is this six factor model. And the first factor, so think of the first rung on your ladder, and that's around developing your foundational skills. So how do you do this? This is what I didn't understand back in the day when I was told I was too tactical. This is where you need to understand what's going on inside your organization, inside your industry, outside your industry. You need the big picture of what's going on around you. And sometimes you get that with your onboarding training. Sometimes you don't. So it's the bottom line is it's up to you to understand what your organization is trying to accomplish and how you can help them accomplish that. And if you don't understand that, then you're not going to have the big picture and have clear direction in your job. Okay. Gotcha. And any pro tips on first steps toward that? I think one, look at if, if, if you're a new employee, what you get with your onboarding training, you can get a lot of information there. Um, you should definitely know your company inside and out. We always say you need to be as at least as well informed about your company as your customers are. So mm-hmm. you need to know everything about your company and not just your silo. If you're just sitting in IT or you're just sitting in marketing, you don't need to know just that aspect. If you work for a retail company, you need to go out and shop that store. You need to know that store. If you work for a big consulting firm, you need to understand all the solutions that your that your organization offers that people can purchase. And how do they use it? How do they make decisions with what you give the services and products you offer? But so Stacey, need- that's not my job. It, yes, it is. <laughs> oh, you owe everything. You're responsible for everything. Diana says this all the time. You're responsible for everything in a 360 degree radius. So if you don't have to go as a leader, you don't have to go do it. But if you hear of something that needs to get done and you have an ability to help someone, then you need to go do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and that's a great, that's a great gauge right there, at least as much as your customers know. And sometimes I'm thinking about one of my first internships. It was with Eaton Corporation and their electrical equipment. And, and my gosh, there's, there's a lot of electrical equipment out there. And I didn't really know much about uh, electrical equipment. I just sort of turned on the lights and, and, <laughs> and the lights turned on. But in terms of like the transformers and the generators and the switches and, uh, and all the stuff that, that's necessary in order for electricity to, to flow and, and, and get going. And so, their customers, it varied by segment, but my goodness, there was a lot to learn just in terms of, you know, what the heck is this piece of equipment and what does it do? And why would anyone want to buy ours versus the other guys? And it, it took some learning to get there. Yeah, sure. And that's, that's why we talk about this. We use the metaphor of a ladder because it takes you a while to get there. I mean, for a while, your bottom rung may be made of jello. It may, you know, it may not be very stable. And that's okay. You know, it will get solidified as you learn more and more and more. And you research about your industry and your competitors. And you can look at benchmark and look what's going on in other industries. And so, but you need to, so our first factor in our uh, leadership model is to develop your foundational skills. And the difference is developing them intentionally, really trying to do it and ensuring you do that. And so when you say skills, I guess, not to be Mr. Distinction, annoyer guy, tactical, huh? But when you say skills, a lot of this sort of kind of sounds like just sort of knowledge, like content knowledge, like these are the facts and the contexts and, and, and thusly what's a big deal, what's not a big deal, and sort of having that 
you know, just foundational understanding. Is there sort of more that kind of is underneath the umbrella of the skills here? Yeah. So what we're thinking as what we, what we've seen and what we know is you develop your foundational skills around the organization. You also have to build your out, your personal foundational skills, right? So what is your vision? What is your ideas of where you want to be? Where do you want to go? How can you add value? So you have to intentionally think about what you want to do within, say, if your organization and your industry is this box to play within this box, what do you need to do to contribute to what's going on in there? Mm-hmm. So we want you thinking about that. Excellent. And so then what's the second wrong? It's called, a sta- so the second one is about establishing the vision. So if you're working, let's say you're working in a certain function, you're in IT, sales, maybe you're in learning and development. When you work in a function, the vision of your function needs to clearly be tied to the corporate structure, the corporate vision. Right. So the way this comes down is the corporation has a vision. There's a reason they're doing what they're doing. There's a reason they're in business. And you want to know how what you do ties to that bigger reason. That's where the strategy comes in, understanding what your corporation does down to what your department does, how you contribute to the strategy that drives the vision. And so you need to understand how your functional vision ties to the bigger vision. And if you're leading that function, or you may not be leading the function yet, you may be an aspirational leader and hope to lead that function someday. And you want to be sure that your department's vision is tied to the bigger vision. And if it's not, this is where you get an opportunity to manage up maybe, right? To work with your manager and think about how you can tie your task, what you do to the broader vision. Because sometimes it's not as well thought out as you would hope or as as it could or should be. Mm -hmm. Well, could you give us a couple examples in terms of, uh, hey, here's a misfit or or, or a poorly aligned uh, situation with regard to a a function and the overall vision versus uh, a great one? So we can kind of make that all the clearer. Yeah, so I can give you, so specifically, so we're from the learning and development, right? So workforce training is where our background is. And so lots of times we'll have programs Somebody will say, you know, oh my gosh, we're missing the sales mark. We've missed sales for the last two years. We have a big problem. Let's go put $2 million in in sales training. Let's go train the whole sales force. And maybe that's not really the problem. Maybe there's something else. Maybe you have a leadership problem. Maybe you have a product problem. Maybe you have an innovation problem. Maybe you have something else. So the alignment and the learning development is just, you know, being reactive and not really thinking through and aligning what you need to do and looking across the organization and looking at what really is the root cause of the problem. So you're not really aligned to what you need to achieve your vision. And you're going out and you're putting and making all these investments and you're not making an impact. You're not moving the needle. Oh, that that is fantastic in terms of it's a knee jerk response. Ah, you know, you do training. We are not getting the sales we want. Therefore, the intersection that's appropriate is for you to do training for our salespeople. You know, but I guess if you had that context and in terms of looking around and seeing what's going on, you might very well learn and maybe have some conversations with some salespeople. No, it's really hard to sell this product when there's a competitor who has a product that works better and costs less. Of course, anybody would choose the the other guy over us. So yeah, go figure. We're having a hard time selling it. And so then your role in terms of a training might, might really be more so about, oh, well, how do we be closer to the customer to learn what they really need and, and innovate or, or how can we 
sort of push improvements out faster instead of getting you know bogged down by by bureaucracy or slow decision making or, or, or whatever is is resulting in us falling behind in terms of having a a great competitive offering that's that's worth selling and buying exactly and th- th- this is actually one of the sort of issues you know behind the the curtain of learning and development that we have is a lot of investments made in learning and development or what we call faith based investments that means we know um, investing in the workforce is important to do. And so we just do that. We're not going to re- really measure impact or kind of see, because we just know that sales are going to go up because we have to train the sales force. But there's no clear vision or strategy or plan around how, why we're training and what we're going to train them. What are the targets we expect to achieve? What are the outcomes we expect? All that's not thought through sometimes just because it's, we're going to just throw this money at this problem that we think we have, but it's really not clear yet. Yeah. Th- you know, I, do a training myself that is a, a pet peeve and and i'm really careful to sort of capture some some figures in the before and after that really do point to a tremendous roi with regard to hey uh, look at all the hours saved from not no longer participating in meetings that should not happen or tasks that should not be done or analyses that uh, should not have been done or could have been done more efficiently and effectively it's like hey what do you know 1.4 hours per person well, that multiply that out. That that really kind of adds up pretty quick to uh, recouping your your training investment. So I'm a big believer in that because otherwise, faith based. I think that's a good way to say it. It's like we well, we're hoping that uh, the money we put here is doing some good, you know. But it's really hard to say. How can you measure that? And and it may be tough to measure, but I, I think you got it you got to do a little something with regard to alignment and measuring of, of your training. Well, that's exactly you. You hit the nail on the head because that is rung number five. You know, when we jump up there, we, we have a tool that we use called the Impact Blueprint, whereby we encourage people to think, to lay out what is the impact you expect. So you think about what are the metrics that are the leading indicators, just like you talked about, hours saved, time saved, the return on investment. So what you want to do is think about what are the leading indicators and what are the business impact metrics that we expect to show that we've impacted the strategy, the corporate strategy, and you want to set targets to do that. Yeah. So you want to have targets so we know where our destination is, so we know if we reach our destination or we exceed our destination. That's why it's important to have the targets. And we like the impact blueprint framework because it's everything is like on one sheet. It's, 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 it's not, it's, it can be simple to complete, but it can also be complex. The good thing about it is it's a strategic thought provoking process to go through. And the, mm-hmm. uh, um, listeners on the podcast can go to our website, Be More Strategic in Business, and go to resources and download an impact blueprint template that we have up there for them. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And so what's the third rung? Is engage stakeholders. All right. So be sure you have, again, it's looking across your organization. Be sure you have supporters for yourself personally as you develop professionally and for your organization. Don't do this in isolation and don't do not work in a silo. Because if people do not know who you are and other leaders do not know who you are and what you do, you will not survive. Mm-hmm. That, that's clear. And then the fourth rung oh, okay. is... Can we hear a bit more about engaging stakeholders? So, so you say one of the, the problems is that folks are just not even aware of, of who you do, of who you are, what you do, and, and how that, that matters. And, and so you know, what are some of your, your top tips for that? And, and I'm thinking that a lot of this comes in terms of sort of like the interdepartmental or, or interfunctional stuff. It, it just sort of, how do you, how do you make that known in, in terms of, you probably don't want to just, um, 
you know, get a, a bullhorn, <laughs> you know, but, but it's important that, that many people have that awareness so they can know, you know, when to reach out and then to, to calibrate their own decision-making based upon, you know, your group's needs. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? The bottom line is smart networking. All right. So it's networking internally. Diana tells a story about needing some IT solutions for the learning and development function and other organizations that had gone to the executive team and asked for more funding for IT. We're having a really hard time getting the funding through, but Diana was really savvy and went around and got support from other functions. She demonstrated, she built the case of these other functions. And when they got into the meeting, not only was she there making the ask, but there were other people supporting her ask because she demonstrated how this funding would support the other functions. So there were like multiple people going in asking for this funding for her department. Mm-hmm. That's great. She had networked and built the case outside. Excellent. And that's another point. I just want to make one more point. That's another point that um, we discuss is that I didn't even realize this. I, I learned this from Diana many years ago is that decisions are not made in meetings. Right. So the I think the decisions are made there, but lots of times decisions are made before you get to the meeting. The meeting is just a formality. Absolutely, yes. You know, I, I saw that in in my work at Strategy Consulting. We call that pre-wiring, getting all, all the folks and all their concerns addressed before the meeting, so that we all just sort of collectively ratify it together. Uh, as well as that's what they say with um, a lot of work in like government or, or the United Nations in terms of yeah, what what you see on the on the floor of the uh, assembly. Has has kind of already been sort of sorted out in many ways. Yeah, that's that's, that's not the pre-show. That's the show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So so then, smart networking. Any pro tips for doing that well? Um, I would say definitely put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone. Push yourself outside of your comfort zone. You know, if you're an introvert and you need to go out and maybe you don't know anything about IT or sales or some of the operation functions, go out under the auspices of learning more and exploring. And get to know your coworkers, and you can do that formally. You can do that informally, but it's very important that you do that with whatever approach you're comfortable with. And when we talk about engaging the stakeholders, you want to engage stakeholders not only from a business side but from a professional side. So you want to use these other stakeholders to help you develop yourself professionally. And we encourage you to not only you know include your fans when you have when you ask for feedback and ask for support, you want to include people that can be your critics too that are harshest on you because you'll get a great perspective from them as well. That's great. Thank you. Well, so let's talk about the the fourth rung here. Okay, so the fourth rung we have is again about building your strategic plan. So we think you need to have a plan to have direction, to know where you're going. When people are tactical, they'll tend to just focus on the how. How am I going to do this? They'll just jump in. Whenever I consult with people, sometimes they'll say, Stacy, are we going to do surveys? How are we going to do this? Are we going to do a regression? Are we going to do focus groups? How are we going to do this? How are we going to measure the impact of this? And I said, wait, wait, wait. It's not how. But we just bought a big survey tool. We have to use it. How, how, how are we going to survey? We got to do it. I'm like, wait, wait. Why? Why are we doing this? What are we trying to accomplish here? We have to have the plan. And sometimes people that are not strategic don't want to think about the plan. So that's one thing where you can help yourself is start laying out a plan. And that's why I mentioned the impact blueprint. It kind of helps you think through and build out a plan and a strategy for yourself and your project and your investments to think through what the outcomes are. So one thing that we say is that we want you to be sure that you keep this in mind is that purpose dominates method. 
the purpose of what you're doing and why you're trying to do this, you know, take on an activity or a task or an investment is more important than how you do it, than the method. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes and says, okay, let's do predictive analytics, that's not the answer. It's what are we trying to accomplish? I don't know if that's the right solution. I don't know if that's how we go about it. I want to know what we're trying to accomplish first. Mm, excellent. Yeah, that's, that's a nice, succinct way to say that. Purpose dominates method. Yes. Okay. Well, so then when building out the strategic plan, uh, what are some of the, the most critical questions you want to make sure that you answer well to have a you know, pretty solid, robust, thorough plan there? So one thing that we think is important in the plan is we have it to build out a strategic plan. We have it all the way from you start at the vision, the corporate vision. This is to ensure that you stay aligned strategically, like mentally, this, this blueprint helps you stay aligned mentally and it helps you physically and tactically stay aligned. So you think, what's the vision? Then what's the corporate strategy? And then how does my function contribute to that corporate strategy because the corp there may be 10 components to the corporate strategy they may be three components and your function contributes to one two three or all three of them you clearly align and everybody on your team needs to know where you align to the corporate strategy and then what your function strategy is this year or you know for the next four or five years whatever your plan is however long your plan is and then you how you contribute to that strategy then what you can do from there is then you, what you do is think about what we do in this function and what are the business questions we need to ask and we need to answer this year. And you can work with your stakeholders to figure out what are the business questions we need to answer to show that we are impacting the corporate strategy, which mm-hmm. is influencing the mission. Well, that's great. Yes. All right. Well, so then we talked about the the creation of the impact blueprint is is showing up in the in the fifth rung of executing. So, any other thoughts when it comes to the execution of the strategic plan? So, if the strategic plan is your blueprint, so if you have your blueprint, when you build your blueprint, you think through what. Are, so, we're going to invest in all these activities, these initiatives, and when you build your plan, you think of. What are our leading indicators and what are our impact measures that we want to track? You've thought through this and you have some of the targets that you want to achieve. This is where you get into the how, how we're going to do this. This is where we know if we're doing surveys, if we're doing predictive analysis, analytics, we're doing correlations, whatever we're doing, we have a plan and we're going to measure business impact. And the reason this is strategic is because we're showing the value of what we're doing and when there's change going on all around you and everything's shifting and you feel like there's an earthquake all the time, when you have a plan and you have a structure, you can, you have direction and then you can, you're able to shift and move and pivot as you need to because you have a big picture of where you're going and you're staying aligned. And if the corporate strategy changes, you can change your plan as well. You have to be flexible to change it. Okay. Very good. And so then you've got it. I like those notions associated with the leading indicators and the impact measures in, in terms of you can see real time if this thing is working out and, and then be prudent about shifting it as opposed to if you haven't planfully, thoughtfully established those up front, you're probably never going to adjust. It's like, well, we're not done yet. So let's keep going and see what happens. And, and it's I'm, like, hey, we're in the wrong jungle. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm still whacking away the weeds. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, thank you. Well, so then let's talk about making the decisions from there. So really what we're saying is you can make smarter decisions 
because you will be making some data-driven decisions. And let me be clear, there are all kinds of data. There are quantitative, there are qualitative. There's your gut feel, there's your experience. All of that goes into decision-making. So, but we do need some data to make smart decisions. And we're not just making decisions like, let's build the sales training, sales is down, let's go build the training and go, like we talked about, right? We're making decisions based on evidence. So we're making evidence-based decisions. So we know this is what's happening. And so here are the decisions that we need to make. Yes, we need to train the sales force, or we need to change this training program, or we need to continue this marketing initiative or eliminate this sales program, whatever it may be. Okay, cool. And and so then when it comes to this decision-making, do you have any particular checklists, frameworks, considerations that you go to again and again to make wise decisions? Well, one thing that we like is we're ensuring that, again, engaging your stakeholders. So when we work with our stakeholders, we'll say, hey, here's what we're finding out. Here's what we've seen with what's going on. And we will collaborate and make decisions. And And when we have meetings with stakeholders, you don't want, this doesn't necessarily have to be a consensus. It can be a collaborative and consultative process with you. So if you're the strategic leader, you're looking, you're making decisions with your stakeholders and you're consulting with them. It doesn't mean everything they say you have to do or you have to change your function or your activities based on what they say. You can take their insight, but you want to get feedback from everybody and say, here's what we're seeing. And somebody else may say, hey, we're seeing the same pattern or no, you're off base because of this. Excellent. Okay. Any others? I think that's it. I think just having a plan and a picture and just being intentional is what's important. And what we like about the latter metaphor is that, like I said, factor five is that execute your strategic plan. When people want to focus on the how, the people that don't, that don't have, you know, the tactical people don't have the foundation, don't have the bottom rungs. They just take a running jump and start and jump right on rung five and try to work their way up but you don't have a strong foundation, right? So, so you may not stay up there. And right. you may be leaning against a tree, but it may not be the right tree too. You don't know. So we think it's important to, even though we don't really so much like this linear process, but we think the strong foundation is really important to have to make a, a stable ladder so that you can stay where you, need to, where you need to and you can continue to see over the treetops. Right. Well, and could you maybe share an example of, of all of this coming together, each of the rungs and sort of a smashing success emerging as a result? Well, I think, one, I might be a smashing success. There you go. <laughs> so, like I said, when I started um, at the consulting firm, I jumped right to Factor 5. I came out of college and I was like, oh, I know how to do all this stuff. I'm just going to start analyzing some data, getting some stuff, getting some programs, start analyzing it. I had no idea what the business did. I didn't really know what we sold. I was just doing a bunch of stuff and doing some spreadsheets. And until I learned what I needed to do, until I needed to understand what be more strategic meant and how to act upon that and get those skills. And I learned that through working with a bunch of different types of leaders, different types of organizations, and moving from company to company, working with different companies um, as a consultant, working with different organizations, and learning and observing other leaders that really helped me to become more strategic. And now when I work with my clients, I have to. It's not natural for me, but I can work with intention and be strategic. Mm -hmm. And I can get into the weeds too, and I like doing that. But I, I realize that I have a better impact when I communicate strategically 
And some of the tips that we give about communicating strategically is that, one, you want to know yourself. So you want to know what kind of person you are. Or like once, you know, again, my feedback. So I kind of knew that I can be long-winded and I can talk about details. And I know how to sort of temper that now. Well, not sort of, but I can temper that now, now mm-hmm. that I know. You want to know your audience, you know, who you're speaking with. Um, we give an example of so if someone asked you, um, how was your weekend? You're going to give a different answer if it's your mom or your doctor or your partner. You know, you're going to give a different answer to that. So you have to know your audience and that you want to communicate with intention. And I think one of the best examples of that is say you run into your CEO in the elevator and they say, so what, how are you doing, Pete? What's going on? Uh, oh, good. <laughs> uh, I'm really tired, man. I stayed up all night working on this project. Oh my gosh. I've got to go get a Starbucks fast as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what you want to say. You want to focus on results. You want to say, hey, remember that uh, customer retention project you greenlighted last month? We're almost finished with it. We're about to roll it out and we're starting phase two next week. I'm really excited about it. That's right. That's much better. <laughs> and that's what you want to say. And that's when the CEO will say, you know what, Pete, why don't you come to my office and tell me how that goes in a week? Check in with me. Yeah. That's what you want. Perfect. And another step that we found in communicating is around um, giving headlines. This is one thing that I learned pretty early on too, is when you summarize, you want to summarize information and you want to give the headline. You don't want to give the details. I used to think that I liked the storytelling part of the building up to the aha moment, but that's not what people want to hear. People want the aha, right? They, they want the headline. Give them the headline. And then if they want to know how you did it and the details, and they want you to pull out that big 1,000-line spreadsheet with data and all filtered up, then you can do that. But that's not what people want. They want to know the answer to their business question. And you do that up front, and that's being strategic. Right. Yeah. It, it's not quite like sort of a Netflix drama, you know, the, the, we're, which <laughs> we enjoy being teased and the, and the bits and pieces falling into place. It's a, it's a different animal entirely. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, tell me, Stacey, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things? No, I think this is great. We're excited. Like I said, we have... Um, we have some resources on the website. So not only do we have the impact blueprint template, but we also have a self-assessment, so a mini self-assessment type checklist for the six factors that they can go, you can go to our website and download. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So I have two quotes. I have a personal quote, and then I'll give you sort of a strategic business quote. So my personal quote is from the movie Anti-Mame from 1958, my favorite movie. And Auntie Mame says, life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. And I love that quote because it teaches me to take risks and to live, live, live life and to stick your neck out and be vulnerable and courageous in my personal life and professional life. Well, thank you. So that's my personal quote. And then I don't, I have so many professional quotes, but one that I really like, I think a good strategic one is comes from my favorite blogger. My favorite blogger right now is uh, Avinash Kosick, and he's the uh, marketing evangelist for Google. And he says, it's not the ink, it's the think. Yeah. And so when you think about that, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's not the details. It's not how big the report is, not how many slides you have in the PowerPoint. It's the thought you put into it. 
what's the headline? Oh, perfect. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, you know, I, I have so many as a, you know, my background is in research, but one that I just love that I go back professionally and personally is from Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Her right. first TED Talk went viral in 2010, and then she has one in 2013, but she has one, The Power of Vulnerability and Listening to Shame and Why Your Critics Aren't the Ones Who Count. So her research and vulnerability and courage, I listen to all the time when I'm in different points of my life and personally and professionally, and I can always pick up a little nugget and find something to apply. So when you're trying to climb your ladder, listen to Brene Brown because she will help you think about how you get up there and stay up there. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? I would say hands down my favorite book is Freakonomics. All right. It's always been, and then really anything by Marshall Goldsmith. I love his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, is exactly in alignment with what we're talking about. All the skills and everything you have that got you to this place in your career may not get you where you want to go. So I recommend the Marshall Goldsmith book, and the classics are the Covey books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I love The Four Disciplines of Execution and The Speed of Trust. I finished those, and they're excellent. There are lots of tips and things you can apply immediately. And do you have a favorite tool so that it helps you be awesome at your job? Mm, I would say that I have a couple things. One, as I just mentioned, um, Avinash Kostik, the uh, digital marketing evangelist with Google, he has a blog called Oxum's Razor, and I absolutely love it. I mean, he is fantastic. So I'd highly recommend looking up Oxum's Razor blog. And something that I don't know, Pete, have you ever seen The Prophet on CNBC? With oh, Marcus? yeah. Marcus Limonis. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I like to watch it with my wife sometimes. Oh, my gosh. I love that show. He's, he's so strategic and he gets in there and I just, I, lo I just love it. So I highly recommend that show on CNBC. Mm -hmm. and, and what I like about him is that he, he seems like he really just gets it through and through in terms of how, how people are people. And they have emotions and things, and 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 yet they also need to be taking the right actions. <laughs> and so he, he manages to deal with both sides, I think, quite effectively. Yeah, I agree. I saw, I saw one just last week, and he was helping this company, and he was helping them, you know, kind of, you know, they make all these personal investments, and he was helping get them on the straight path to success. And he was telling the guy building the website, he's like, okay, go build the website. And the guy's like, what do I do? He said, I don't care. Make it great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's strategic and that guy was like how do i make it great you figure that out but you make it great yeah <laughs> and how about a favorite habit something that helps you be awesome at your job 100 percent, it's working out i go to the gym uh monday through friday every morning it's a habit i have to do it it's not only physical it's emotional stability for me so that's critical for me and sort of my addiction of listening to my books i kind of have to do too all right yeah and is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks and they quote it back to you? I would say, I, I really think that it's not the ink, it's the think mm -hmm. that I share with people all the time. That really seems to resonate with people when I, you know, I, again, that's not mine. I got that from him. And then, you know, the quote from Auntie Mame seems to get a lot of laughs from people. But I think really when I talk about, personally, when I talk about measuring the impact of business investments. When I talk about the leading indicators and the business metrics and that it's really important to not just show vanity metrics, 
which are all the metrics that say, hey, look how good we are. Look how many people we trained. Look how many website clicks we got. Don't just show your vanity metrics. You want to show where you made an impact. Awesome. And Stacey, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Um, to our website, which is bemorestrategicinbusiness.com. And you can find more information out about myself and Diana Thomas and the resources for the book. Oh, perfect. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. My final challenge is to be and stay strategic, to be awesome at your job and have an awesome career. Perfect. Well, Stacy, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. And, and keep on being strategic and, and helping others do the same. This has been a, a whole lot of fun. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. Yes, this was great. I really love Stacy's point about how purpose dominates method and how it's so easy to get sucked into. Are we doing surveys? Are we doing interviews? Are we doing focus groups? You know, what's the thing we're doing? Because yes, that is sort of like the, the quote unquote real work, you know, where the rubber meets the road and you're doing activities. But if those activities are going in the wrong direction, then you can even be farther away from the goal and where you started. So, so helpful to be a little patient, to dig in a bit. My One of my top strengths is activator. And so I tend to want to sort of get after the action now, 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 but taking that time to ensure that you got the right purpose and you're going in the right direction makes a world of difference. So check yourself if you find yourself jumping to method too quickly prior to hitting purpose. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep343. If you have not already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll hear from our next guest. It is Jordan Harbinger. He is an inspiration for me behind starting this whole show. And he is talking about charisma and communicating effectively, relationship building, networking. He's real good at that stuff. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.